0: Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, Clearcast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage,
1: national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Welcome back. I am attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser of ClearanceJobs.com, we're talking this segment about summer travel plans for clearance holders. And Lindy, I don't know about you, but after the last couple of years, boy, I could sure use vacation.
0: Same, same. Where are we going, Sean? Let's go.
1: <laughs> you know, I think that the timing of this is really good for clearance holders, the timing of this conversation we're having, because there is a tremendous lack of information that I've found in the cleared community about what the requirements are for clearance holders who may be taking international travel. And this is something that actually is a real significant issue in a lot of our cases that we handle where somebody's being disciplined or their clearance is being denied or revoked for failing to comply with rules and regulations. So Lindy, I'm sure you've read it plenty of times and I know that it's not uh, the most exciting reading, but CIAD 3, Security Executive Agent Directive 3, the self-reporting guidelines that cover all security clearance holders Has your sense been that most clearance holders are aware that this even exists?
0: No. I mean, I think that most clearance holders do not know that they have self-reporting requirements. I say this as a former clearance holder who never had any clue that I had self-reporting requirements or what they are. I think many people are confused that there are different self-reporting requirements for secret and TS clearance holders. Somewhat nuanced and I think pretty erroneous, but there are. And I think that just goes to show how much... I don't want to require more training of security clearance holders. I love you all. I would never be responsible for that. But I do think that there is this missing piece, you know, read into your program or you have access. There needs to be as much as we're focused on insider threats and you know training on kind of emerging issues. We need to kind of go back to the bread and butter of like policies are boring, but the average clearance holder needs to know that. And I think knowing what your agency requires too, because I will get that question at clearance jobs. I have got that. Like, hey, what is the time frame for when I have to report? And maybe you know the answer to this question, Sean, but my understanding is it's set by the agency heads. And so I generally say, I think I've seen like 30 days, but I don't think that there is one universal across government. How early are you supposed to report foreign travel to the government? And then there is also the caveat knowledge, like if you happen to accidentally travel overseas, it sees, which would probably like a day trip to Mexico or, you know, you go to Canada or something happens, the obligation to report it after the fact, all of those reporting requirements against both self-reporting and reporting on foreign travel. I just don't think people have a good understanding. So I tend to give kind of the guideline versus the rule of like report within 30 days. Definitely be interested in your take, if especially cases of you've seen someone who's gotten in trouble for this and maybe not reporting within the time frame they were supposed to.
1: Yeah. So you know, this CAD 3 policy is something that really has only been around since, I believe, 2017 or 2018. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but it's, it's relatively recent. And prior to that, there were some self-reporting obligations for clearance holders, but there wasn't really a government-wide uniform standard. And so every agency had a hodgepodge of requirements and they were poorly communicated, poorly documented and a lot of times agencies would haul in people and say you didn't report XYZ and then we would say well show us the policy that requires them to do that and they would give us this deer in the headlights look and say well the person should have known they were you know supposed to do that or they should have known we would have wanted to know that and we would say well that's nice but what you think they would have wanted to know and what they think they wanted to know may-, may be completely different things so this is a subjective standard and that's not what rules and policies are supposed to be it's supposed to be an objective clear standard that everybody can understand so I think that that's where this uniform cad3 policy came from was this hodgepodge of varying standards and and lack thereof at some agencies and so in some respects that's been a good thing but on the flip side as you point out there's really a lot of clearance holders who don't know that this exists and I don't think that Most of us expect clearance holders and and frankly, most clearance holders would expect other clearance holders to spend their free time perusing dry government websites and the code of federal regulations and things like that. And so everybody has busy lives. If this is something that the government wants them to know, I think most reasonable people would expect that there would be some better efforts to publicize this. But The reality is that has not been the case. There are a number of agencies that we deal with regularly that have not trained their workforce on this. There are some contractors, oddly enough, who are ahead of the curve compared to their customer agencies and are training their employees on the CI3 reporting requirements. We've seen it pop up in a handful of companies retraining annual refresher, you know, things like that. So that's great. For folks who, you know, still are scratching their heads going, I've never heard of this. What is CI3? You really ought to go look it up. You can find it easily online. It's put out by ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And I think if you know you go and read this thing and you've never heard of it before, you may be really shocked at what's in there because in principle at least, you as a clearance holder are required to report a lot of things that don't typically get reported. And one of the biggest is travel. There are some specific reporting timelines in ca 3 when it comes to travel. That is the only thing from my recollection that actually does have a specific timeline. And I don't recall offhand exactly what they are, but they are definitely less than 30 days. I I do recall that. And so the government is wanting very prompt, very timely self-reporting of any international travel. And the key thing here that really throws a lot of clearance holders for a loop is you're supposed to do it before you go. You're not supposed to just go travel abroad and come back and tell your security manager. Oh, by the way, I spent, you know, the last week in China. That's not going to fly. Not only that, you're actually supposed to get pre-approval and, you know, technically under. The provisions of ci 3, uh, an agency can deny that. So if you're a clearance holder and you propose some wild, exotic trip to your security folks, they can come back and say, no, we don't think this is safe. We don't think this is consistent with national security. You can't do it. And at that point, your option is either to quit your job or not take the trip. And so that's pretty black and white for most folks. You're also supposed to get a pre-briefing in many cases, a pre-security briefing, you know, sort of outlining the threats. That are applicable in the particular country, how aggressive the country's intelligence service is at recruiting, things like that. My experience has been that most people have no idea. And we've had cases where somebody has filled out an SF-86, you know, they've undergone their periodic review, they've honestly listed their travel in the last five years on their SF86. And then security comes to them and says, why is this the first time we're hearing about this? You got an obligation to seek our approval before you went. I think that's probably one of the biggest things in there that folks have kind of uh, been done a disservice by not being sufficiently educated on.
0: It's very interesting that there's these reporting requirements and folks have to report their travel ahead of time. I think it's worth noting, like in general, it is just a precautionary on the part of the government. Like I have rarely seen or maybe never anyone who's presented their travel to their agency ahead of time and been disapproved. I don't think the government in general is interested in who you met on a foreign trip unless that person is behaving in a strange way. So maybe what are some cautions about interactions overseas should security clearance holders take special care in who they get to know when they're traveling overseas or there's some advice around that?
1: I agree with you completely. 99% of clearance holder international travel is not going to be a problem if you self-report it. As you point out, Bahamas, Mexico, Western Europe—I mean, Australia—most of the places where people are, you know, typically vacationing overseas are really, you know, benign destinations. They're not going to raise any eyebrows. So, I wouldn't let this self-reporting requirement preclude anybody from, you know, living their life and, and going and traveling. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there are some rare cases, some some offbeat destinations you know, the government might have an issue. And for example, China, Russia, Iran, certain parts of the Middle East, obviously, you know, Cuba is a no-go and there's a whole other set of issues that that raises. And so any of these type of destinations are probably going to get some additional scrutiny. But as long as you're staying on the well-worn path, or maybe just straying off of it ever so slightly, probably not going to be an issue. One other thing I want to point out as well is travel self-reporting and pre-authorization requirement applies to everybody, all clearance holders. And so you know it really doesn't matter what your level of clearance is. this is something that you need to be taking into consideration. On to your your other question, your other point about you know kind of interacting with people overseas this is a question I get all the time. I think that it's really important that people understand there is actually a difference between what is required in self-reporting foreign contacts under CAD3 versus what is required in self-reporting contacts on the SF-86. If you read the language on the SF-86 that talks about who qualifies as a reportable foreign contact, it talks about the close and or continuing contacts. That's the language that I think you know most of us who have held clearances are familiar with. That language also appears in CAD 3 But in addition to that, it also talks about the requirement to self-report Any foreign contacts with whom you've exchanged personal information. Now, that's a very vague, broad term. What constitutes personal information? Up until last year, we didn't have an answer about that. And it was really up for interpretation. DOD has since put out supplemental guidance that for the first time defines what that means. And what they have essentially said is, you know, anything that is not publicly known, So, for example, if you go overseas, you meet somebody, you wind up spilling your entire life to them for some reason, it maybe becomes a romantic situation, something like that, that obviously would be reportable. If you, you know, go overseas and you get into a cab, and the cab driver presumably is a foreign national, obviously, that sort of contact isn't reportable. A, a, you know, a server at a restaurant, uh, somebody you have fleeting interaction with at a hotel, you know, staff, those sorts of situations, the government is not looking for you to report all those people. And that would be so impractical anyway, that it's it's just not, you know, realistic. If you're exchanging personal information, information that is not Generally known about you. And, you know, that could arguably include even uh, certain, you know, contact information. That's then triggering the reporting requirement under CAD 3, which is different and broader than what's required on the SF86. So that tension between the two documents is something that has caused a lot of questions for people and some real anxiety. And so it's still something that you know, we're seeing percolate in cases occasionally. As a general rule, you know, it's not something that I would lose sleep over. I think as long as folks read this document, understand what their reporting obligations are and make a good faith effort to comply with them, that's really what the government is typically looking for here.
0: What happens in Cancun stays in Cancun unless you have a security clearance and then it does not stay in cancun you must ask your security officer first i think that is like good it's good i i love that feedback on the nuance because i have heard that before about the difference between what the self-reporting requirements are and what's on the sf-86 just a reminder you know it's certainly we kind of all let loose a little bit on vacation i think it is a good reminder like hey please go on a vacation for me this summer i'm not going on one so security clearance holder go on one if you certainly have the you know the privilege of being able to travel abroad just be a little bit careful and cognizant of who you connect with or talk to. And that advice of just, you know, not sharing things that aren't publicly known. I think having that clarification is just good to know. You know, you don't need to share personal details because as we know, if there are foreign adversaries out there looking to gather information on folks, it's some of those personal details that they'll certainly
1: use to build their campaigns. You know, anything that can be used to target you or research you and locate you. I mean, those, those are all things that you know you just want to be prudent and careful about and and you know a lot of common sense and reasonableness goes a long way here so nobody's expecting i think you know your average run of the mill clearance holder to be a counterintelligence expert or anything like that but using your head is <laughs> is kind of what we typically recommend this is Katie Keller editor at clearancejobs.com thank you for listening to this episode of cleared past for more information on career and recruiting advice visit news.clearancejobs.com.